Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus declared, quote, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who was least among you all, he is the greatest. Do you have a lifestyle of looking to be preferred, or are you willing to be the least? Are you unassuming like a child, or are you consistently concerned with status and respect and honor from others? Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 9 and learn from Jesus to have the humility and unassuming attitude of a young child. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday afternoon here in Texas. It's, uh, it's around four o'clock. So hopefully y'all are loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you. I, uh, I just got back from a, I mean, just a blessed weekend that we were, uh, we were celebrating my big brother, Jason Ross and his uh, his fiftieth birthday and uh, and Jason really is one of the one of the most godly men I know and his father Jerry as well his father had turned uh, had turned sixty eight on uh, on Friday and uh, again happy birthday uh, Jerry and uh, and Jason and, and Jerry is a, is a man of God he actually counseled uh, my wife May and I you know um, you know while we were engaged he was our marriage counselor. And, and and my man Kent and uh, and the four of us just had a uh, a fiftieth birthday celebration with Jason and uh, and Jerry his sixty eighth birthday, man. We just went out to a uh, a cabin and just had fellowship and community. I mean, there was a unity, and I mean, the conversation was always about Jesus. There were divine appointments. Um, each man was moving in his giftings. Um, and again, I, I can't say enough about it. Again, my brother, Jason Ross, my big brother, and he's, he's spoken into my life and, uh, you know, he's always been an encouragement. I go to him for counsel. Again, his father, Jerry Ross is gifted in counseling. And I was blessed with, uh, with, with Kent, who I, you know, I, we were both in Jason's wedding like 17 years ago. Um, you know, but Kent is, is uh, Kent's like Stephen and, you know, who runs all of our IT and communications and handles all these teachings and does all that stuff. But, but, you know, he has such a gift of hospitality and service and generosity. And he just, you know, he drove us everywhere. I mean, he paid for almost everything. And, um, you know, he was just such a blessing. So, man, it was just a good time, guys. And, uh, you know, I was just, I was blessed. Kent got us all these hats. And so we have this, uh, you know, this this 50 year hat here. Kent was shrewd enough to not put, you know, any specifics or any names so that, you know, we can keep using it over and over for different 50 year celebrations. So I appreciate that, brother. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. We're uh, Lord willing. We're going to finish up Luke 9 here. Um, the goal is to do verses 46 to, uh, to 62. Um, we had we had studied part of this passage this weekend, and, uh, and man, Jerry made such a good point, and I'm going to get into that here, into the teaching, something I had not seen. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, your grace, and your love on our lives. Father, uh, we just thank you that we have our Bible. 
And Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a, a perfect, righteous life for us. And we thank you that you died a perfect, righteous death for us. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today and we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear as we open your word. Give us hearts that understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Luke 9, 46 to 62. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you, and, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. Okay. Just, uh, whew, there's a lot here. And so, uh, again, we're going to try to get through all of this. So, uh, just thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, this is a, uh, you know, this is an amazing thing. And uh, certainly I can see this, uh, this spirit in myself. Or, uh, it's an absurdity, really. Right, Kent? I mean, which of them would be the greatest? Now, you know, in the, in the last teaching, if you listen to the last teaching, Jesus and Peter, James, and John come down the mountain. The other nine disciples are trying to, to drive out a demon that's causing epileptic seizures in a, in a young child, maybe a five- or six-year-old child. But the disciples, the nine disciples could not drive out the demon. And, and Jesus was off put with them. Jesus was, you know, was, was, was frustrated with them. 
um, you know, the man, the father comes to Jesus and says in verse 40, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. The disciples couldn't do anything, so the father went right to Jesus, right, uh, right, Jerry? And so in verse 41, Jesus said, oh, believing, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Okay. And so, you know, Jesus goes on to, you know, to rebuke the demon, to heal the boy, and he handles it, right? Um, but the disciples couldn't do it. You know, they they had, you know, they just didn't have the, the power. They didn't have the faith. Jesus caused them, you know, calls them unbelieving. In another version, it says faithless. So, you know, you would think that they would have, uh, they'd be a little more circumspect, right? You'd think they'd have a little bit more humility. But immediately after this, verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, again, this is a, a remarkable, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous, but it really is emblematic of the state of the church today, right? And again, we were talking about this this weekend. Um, we have somewhere around 1,100 denominations in Christianity. That's how broken, you know, we become. That's how much we can't get along and just simply agree on what the Bible is saying. And so they're arguing about which of them will have the, the greatest status in heaven. Verse 47, Jesus knowing their thoughts. Now stop right there for a second. Jesus knows your thoughts, Stephen, and he knows my thoughts. And that ought to give us all a little bit of pause, you know, about our thinking. Let me read it again, Corinne. Jesus knowing their thoughts, okay? I was saying to my brother Jason today, uh, or yesterday, um, and I'll say again, you know, Jason is one of the most godly men I know. I have, I have a few close brothers named Jason. You know, uh, this Jason is, you know, he lives in Arkansas, and he's just, he's a man of God like few other. Um, but even he was saying that, you know, there's times he has a thought process that are not of Christ, and that are not of God. All of us think things, and we have thoughts in our mind that we know are not of Christ. And Jerry made a good point this weekend to say that it's not when the thought comes into our mind that's the issue. It's when we when we when we take the thought and when we run with it. You know, I forgot exactly how Jerry said he said it well, but it's when we just when we continue to meditate on the thought, right? And it, again, it can be a thought of bitterness, of anger, of unforgiveness, it can be lust, whatever it is. The issue is not that the thought pops into our mind, but that we continue to, to feed it, right? Um, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest, okay? Now, I'll say again, there should have been some humility because, you know, they were not able to drive the demon out, and they should have been able to do that, right? They weren't able to serve this man and his son. You know, they were... Again, they failed. Be it not only is there no humility, but a moment later they're talking about who's the greatest. And, and again, um, this spirit is certainly alive and well in the church. And again, if I look into my own heart, we can I can just see impurities that are uh, you know that just need to be 
corrected and repented of. So help us, Lord Jesus, help me. Jesus knowing their thoughts. Jesus knows what we're thinking. So do you have a heart? Yeah, Jesus can see your, your ungodly thoughts, but can he see your thoughts of repentance? Can he see your thoughts of realizing that your thoughts are wrong? Listen, Jesus knows that we're human. He knows we're dust. He knows that we have a sinful nature. He knows that we can see that, that we think things that are not, that are not of God. But can he also see your thoughts of repentance? Can he see your thoughts of love and mercy, right? Can he see your thoughts where you're grieving over the fact that you're thinking in an ungodly way? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Verse 48, then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Um, why does Jesus say this? What is it about a little child that will define who is the greatest? Um, it's interesting here. Again, we had talked about, we just talked about how, how demons treat children, right? how a demon was taking over this child and putting him into epileptic seizures and almost killing him. So how a demon would torture a child. How We can see the difference between how the devil treats children and how Jesus treats children here, right? It's, uh, it really is remarkable. Jesus treated children with love and compassion and mercy and blessing, right? Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. So how is it a child represents us being the least? What is it about a child? Well, you know, the argument they were having is about who would be the greatest, who would have the greatest position, who would have the greatest status. A child is not concerned right? A six, seven-year-old child, he's not concerned about his status. She's not concerned about who's going to have the greatest status, right? A six, seven-year-old child is sincere. They're candid. They're honest about their feelings and desires, right? They're not pretentious. They're not trying to, to pretend to be something they're not. They're genuine, right? And I'll tell you, what, uh, what Father Jerry said, you know, I had not considered but maybe the greatest part about a young child is they're teachable, right? Our minds as young children are absorbing information, right? We're learning at such an exponential rate. Um, but a young child is teachable, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, Jerry mentioned this, at, in, in, you know, this weekend, and it was, it was revelation to me that, you know, a child will subject themselves and believe what their father's telling them, what their mother's telling them. As we grow in Christ, as we mature in Christ, and I, and I certainly see this in myself, oftentimes we're not very teachable. Oftentimes we have this attitude that we have it, we have it all figured out. And we, we often won't learn from others. And when we're in that state, we can't even learn from Jesus, okay? Don't think that you can shut yourself off 
from learning and receiving from your brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet you're still receiving from Jesus, okay? Um, and so that was just a great point, Jerry, um, that a child is teachable, right? A child can, you know, is absorbing information. A child um, just has an innocence in receiving from his mother and father and believing what they say. And, and, and you know, as we get older, it's hard for us. Jesus said, right, in verse, what, in verse 41? What was it? Um, verse 41, oh, believe, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. It's like as we grow in Christ, we start to get this attitude that we haven't figured out. And a child doesn't behave in that way. So, Father, I ask you to help us to just to be more childlike in our, uh, you know, in our walk and our belief. Help us to be more teachable. Verse 49, Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Verse 50, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Uh, the spirit that's operating here and the disposition and the attitude. Now, again, this is the Apostle John. We're in the, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke records this. This is the great Apostle John now. Look at this. Master said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. We live in a church culture today. As I already said, we have, what, 1,100 denominations in Christ. Um, I can probably name 15 of them, right? But that shows you how divided we are and how much we can't get along. And that's why there's very little power in the body of Christ. That's why we don't see healings. That's why we don't see miracles. God is not mocked. Right? What is it, Galatians 6, 8? God is not mocked. You know, we can't get along as a church. And then, you know, those of us who have given ourselves to study the word of God, those of us who have, you know, given ourselves to, you know, to understand the scriptures, we can come across so assured. We can come across so arrogant. We can come across like we have it figured out and everyone else is a fool. And, and the attitude is really nothing like Christ. Okay. You know, we can have an attitude. Well, you know, we're the Catholics. We know what we're talking about. We're reformed. So we're really the ones that understand. And the irony is, right, or it can be Baptist or it can be Methodist. It can be Pentecostals, you know, and for whatever reason, we cannot see. And, and the problem is not that we can't. It's that we won't see. Right, Dave? You know, Dave Anderson is a part of our ministry. He's the oldest person in our ministry, you know, that's active. He's in his, I don't know, mid-80s. And it's, it's not that we can't see, like David said. You know, it's, it's that we won't see, right? When you have this attitude that we have it figured out, or it's our doctrine that's elite, or our understanding that's elite, you can't seem to understand, or, and, and again, I'm guilty of this, we can't seem to understand that already we have failed, Okay. You know, already we've been defeated, as Paul said, right? 
Um, just because someone is not one of us, just because someone is not Baptist, just because someone's not Catholic, just because someone's not Reformed, um, just because someone is not Pentecostal, just because someone is not one of you, doesn't mean you need to get in the way of what they're doing in Christ. And I mean, that is an area of repentance for really all of us as Christian ministers, and particularly those of us who have a passion. I have a, a tremendous passion for doctrine, right? I really do. I, I enjoy the deep doctrines, the in-house debates of the doctrines of Christ, right? The debatable doctrines, the, 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 the debatable doctrines on election, right? Election is a reality, right? But, you know, as far as what is the cause of God's election, why did he elect those who would be saved? That's where the whole argument is, right? I've studied it for 25 years almost, and, uh, and I haven't come to a conclusion yet. But there are people on both sides of the doctrine. The scripture is not absolutely clear, but yet we can get so assertive. We, we, can, we can have such an air and a pomp and, and really an arrogance about us that it's nothing like Christ. Um, Master said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. Now remember, the nine disciples couldn't drive out the demon. They failed in driving out the demon. They were impotent. They had no power to drive out the demon. But here, we saw a man driving out demons. A man was, was actually driving out demons in the name of Jesus, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. It's sickening. It is a, uh, it's, an, it's an aspect of our Christianity that all of us need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive us. If we see someone working in the name of Christ, doing good works in the name of Christ, serving in the name of Christ, praying in the name of Christ, whatever it is, walking in spiritual gifts in the name of Christ, looking for healing in the name of Christ, don't dog it because you don't believe it. Just because he's not one of you or she's not one of you doesn't mean you try to stop him. Verse 50, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. I'll say again, um, I do spend a lot of time in studying you know, um, what the different, you know, the different teachers have to say in the different, you know, um, in the different denominations. And I learn from them, right? I do learn a lot from the reformed guys. I learn a lot from them. But there's a lot to learn from ministers who are gifted that are not reformed, right? And that's just something that's hard for us. There, there are Catholics that go back, uh, you know, Fenelon, right? Uh, G.K. Chesterton, uh, Chesterton. When you learn, when you see some of the revelation that these guys brought, we don't just disown them because they're Catholics, right? Now, again, I, I do want to step back here and make a point. I'm not saying by any means, by any means that we can have bad theology and bad doctrine. I'm simply saying Jesus is going to say, as he said to the Apostle John, don't stop him. I understand, and, and I certainly believe um, that the word of God needs to be taught with clarity, 
um, with humility, um, and with skill. And it needs to be taught properly, right? But we do have to get to a point that just because some brothers and sisters in Christ don't believe exactly as we do, we have to agree on the essentials. All human beings are sinners. All of us need a savior. And without Christ, we'll spend eternity in hell. That's the plain teaching of the Bible. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father you know, except through me. So we have to agree on the essentials. We're going to have to start giving a little more grace in the non-essentials. And I mean, we have utterly, utterly failed similarly to the attitude of John in, uh, in verse 49 and 50. And I ask you to forgive us, Lord Jesus. The same thing that the Apostle John, this attitude that's in the Apostle John here is certainly in us, right? We would stop oftentimes, particularly those of us that, that do have a, a tremendous passion for the Word of God. People can be doing good in Christ, but because they're not as sound as we would like them to be, we would stop them. And it's, and it's a clear area of repentance. We need to hear Jesus say to us, verse 50, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. And that, that's a very hard message for some to receive. Again, I'm not making excuses for heretical doctrine here. I'm simply saying there it is in the scripture. So let Christ deal with you as certainly he's dealing with me on this. All right. Verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's an important verse, right, Pop? As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So, you know, there is a time for everything in the economy of God, okay? Jesus is God. He's God the Son. And there was a time for him to go to the cross. There was a time for him to live, to teach, to preach, to heal. And there was a time for him to die on the cross. There are times and seasons in our lives, right? Ecclesiastes 3, right? I, I encourage you to go and read, you know, what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3, right? There's a time for everything under the sun, a time to live and a time to die, right? And he goes on to give you all the different times. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, so the time was coming for him to be persecuted, crucified, die, and be raised from the dead. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew what he was called to do. Jesus knew he was called to die for the sin of the world. And he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I mean, he now made a beeline and focus to go fulfill what the Father had called him to do. And, and really, we need to have this attitude in us. We don't, okay? Um, really, none of us, obviously, none of us have this like Christ. But, you know, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, as the time approached for him to do what the Father had called him to do, and which he willingly came to do, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It needs to say, you know, it needs to say that Rap resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jerry resolutely set out to go into his work and do what the Lord had called him to do. Jason resolutely set out 
to go do what, what Christ had called him to do. Kent resolutely set out. This, this, this Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Um, you know, I, I need to have more of this, this resolute focus and intentionality on what Christ has called me to do. We all do. Verse 52. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Okay, so he's, he's setting out for Jerusalem. And so he sends messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now remember, Samaria, Samaritans were, were not pure Jews. They were, you know, uh, they were a mixture. It was when non-Jews, who were called Gentiles, you know, you know, married people who were purely Jewish, and it created a Samaritan, right, which was a, a half-Jew, and a, it's not a fully pure Jewish person. And so there was, there was tremendous prejudice and racism against Samaritans by the Jewish people. And the Samaritans were very angry, racist, and prejudiced against the Jews. I mean, now this was a real hatred. This was a genuine racism where they despised them, particularly because of, you know, of how they were born, right? And he sent messengers on ahead who went into, into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, 53. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So again, um, Jerusalem was a city that, you know, was devoutly Jewish. They were only pure Jewish there. And since the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile, the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans just because they weren't pure Jews, right? They couldn't stand them. They couldn't bear them. They, they just were, they were disgusted by them. Again, it was sinful as it is today for us to in any way look down on a human being because they don't look like us. They don't come from our culture. Again, I will say this. We don't have a racism problem. We have a sin problem in this world because racism is evil. Okay. Racism is sin. All sin is evil, okay? We have a sin problem in the church today. We have a sin problem in the world today. We don't have a racism problem, okay? The evil of racism is the same as any other evil. It's sin. It's something we need to repent over. And, and here's what we need to hear. As plain as you can hear it, nothing we do will fix racism or any evil except Christ. Okay. Only in Jesus can we heal the evils of racism. Only in Jesus can we heal the evil of prejudice. Only in Jesus can we overcome sin and evil of any kind. Everything else is putting lipstick on a pig. Everything else will not work. Okay. Only when Christ is involved can we have any solution to anything in any way in any time? Verse 53, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Look at 54. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? James and John are so off put with the Samaritans and the fact that they won't receive Jesus, 
And there's kind of presumption here, right? They're speaking as if they have this power, which they don't. They couldn't even drive out a demon, right? When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <clears throat> so, again, they're so indignant, so angry that the Samaritans wouldn't receive Jesus. They're so upset with the, with the prejudice and the racism but yet they themselves had prejudice and racism against the Samaritans. But they say, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? So they want to bring judgment down on these Samaritans who are not welcoming Jesus. Look what, look what 55 says. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Apparently Jesus didn't get offended. Apparently Jesus may wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't mad or hurt or off-put because they rejected him, okay? Now, obviously, the Samaritans should have received Jesus. Obviously, their prejudice was wrong. But again, they had been treated with such utter disdain and prejudice themselves. Now, again, that's not an excuse, you know? Again, I don't know what it's like, you know, for the most part, to be treated certainly with, with prejudice and racism. That's for sure, right? I don't know what that's like, um, you know? But at the same time, we're not to return evil for evil, right? We're to walk in the love of Christ. Jesus loves the Samaritans. Jesus wants the Samaritans to receive him, right? And he's certainly not calling fire down from heaven on them. Verse 55, let, let that sink in. When you want to see vengeance for prejudice and vengeance for racism, but Jesus turned and rebuked them, okay? So no. OK, you know, again, I don't know what it's like to be treated in this way, as many others do. Right. But yet, no, Jesus is not one that's saying you need to turn to vengeance and anger and bitterness and judgment. Again, we need to walk with the heart of Christ and the attitude of Christ. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. Jesus didn't force himself on them. All right? And Jesus won't force himself on us. All of us have different bitterness in our heart. The Samaritans had bitterness. Again, the Samaritans wouldn't welcome Jesus. That's not okay. I understand that they, you know, they, they had been mistreated terribly. But don't reject Jesus because you've been mistreated. Jesus hasn't mistreated you. I understand human beings have acted a fool. I certainly have. And I ask you to forgive us. I ask you to forgive me. But where you've been treated with prejudice or racism um, or even bitterness or anger or unforgiveness, it's not Christ doing that. Okay? You see, Jesus rebuked those who wanted to act that way. So don't reject Jesus because human beings have acted a fool. And, and we are guilty of this in the church. These, this is the apostle John and James. They're one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. And yet... You know, out of their own prejudice and anger, you know, they want to bring judgment down. And so it was in the church in Jesus's day, and it's certainly in the church today. But be clear, it's not acceptable. For, you're not going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, well, the church didn't treat me good. It wasn't Jesus that did it. I certainly have failed. I've made mistakes. James and John were wrong, 
And all the church may have been wrong, but that's not Jesus who's done that. You and I are responsible to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to receive Jesus as our only Lord and Savior, John 1, 12. To all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're not going to be able to stand before Jesus and make excuses that someone here or there in the church didn't treat us well. I'm sure that's true. And again, I, I'm sorry. You know, there are times where I have failed and certainly the whole church has failed, but it wasn't Jesus that failed you. Verse 57, as they were, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. So they're walking along the road and a man comes up to Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't come up to the man. It says, a man said to him as they were walking along the road. So the man initiated this. I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Hmm. Why is Jesus saying this to him? As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Why did Jesus reply in this way? Well, he's given the man a realistic outlook of what it's like to follow Jesus. And again, I know that I say this over and over. There are, I cannot count how many times a day I fail to live like Jesus. And that's not my heart. I want to live like Jesus. But sometimes in our evangelism as Christians and as ministers, we can promise people the world. Certainly we know that our Father loves us, but walking with Jesus is not just the better roses. It's not just all joy and peace and wonder and great. It, it certainly is all those things, but walking with Jesus is hard. What does the man say? I will follow you wherever you go. Why doesn't Jesus say it's all going to be great? It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. You're going to be blessed. It's not like that, right, Tom? Jose, it's not always like that. Jesse, it's not always like that, right? Esther, it's, is it always like that? Becky, is it always just like incredible and wonderful and peaceful? We need to tell people the truth, right? There is no other way but Christ. If you don't have Christ, only eternal hell awaits. If you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, only an eternity in hell, separated from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, an eternity in torment is all that awaits you. That's the truth. It came out of Jesus' own mouth, John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to be forgiven of your sin. To come into relationship with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's the only way to spend eternity in heaven. He is, okay? But when this man says, I will follow you wherever you go, this is what Jesus said. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What is he saying? He's simply saying to follow me, you know, it's, we're not going to be in lavish accommodations. It's not going to be easy. Jesus went from town to town, to village to village, consistently pouring himself out for the people, serving the people, healing the people, feeding the people, preaching to the people, right? And 
you know, he didn't stop. He wasn't saying he was poor here. He wasn't saying that he didn't have a house he would go to. He was simply saying that to follow Christ is going to take a commitment and it's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be comfortable. And that's something we, you know, we haven't done a good job of that. Certainly we know that our father loves us and we'll tell people that God loves you and you need to give your life to Jesus. And that's certainly true. But right, Jason, Jesus is going out of his way here to let this man know, okay, you say you want to follow me? Well, it ain't going to be easy. And again, there, there's nothing in life. There's nothing in life infinitely that matters. The only thing that matters is following Jesus. But it's not easy to follow Jesus. Okay, it is a commitment. Verse 59. Now, this is interesting. You see in verse 57, it says, a man said to him. Look at verse 59. He said to another man. So that man came up to Jesus. Jesus here approaches another man. Now this is Jesus coming up to a man and approaching a man. And the man didn't ask for this. Verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. You see that, Susan? But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request, right? Look at 60. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter one way or the other. You know, you can feel like you're coming to Christ and you certainly need to give your life to Jesus, but here Jesus is coming to you. And it really is both, okay? Jesus is calling you today. You see that? Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, a man comes up to Jesus. Verse 59, he said to another man, so here, this man didn't come to Jesus. Jesus came to him. And that's how it is today. Jesus is coming to you, and he's saying the same thing. Follow me. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. And this is what we do. And, and, and still, today, you know, there are things and, and aspects of my life where I'm not serving Christ as I ought to. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. So again, it's not that this was an unreasonable request. But there, when Jesus tells you to do something, nothing is more important than that. That's all that matters is to walk with Jesus. Your most important human relationships, mother, father, brother, sister, you know, your children, spouse, okay? None of these things can be on the same level as our relationship with Christ. And that's just not the reality of our lives. We may say God first, but it's not true. It's true for almost none of us, okay? We may be deluded in our minds and think that, you know what, Lord, it's all about you. It's, no, it's not, okay? Now, as we grow and mature in Christ, we grow more to think more about Jesus, to serve Jesus, to love Jesus, to make our priority about Jesus. This man's not making an unreasonable request, is he? Maybe his father is sick. He's close to death. He just wants to bury him. Jesus, again, listen to the words. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus said, no. I understand that's your earthly father. But your priority needs to be me and doing what I'm telling you. Again, following Jesus is not an easy thing. Following Jesus is not always a glorious, wonderful, fun, happy Oftentimes it's difficult. I, I can even say more often than, often than not, it's difficult. I mean, how do you respond to a guy like this? 
He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. It seems awful reasonable. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. It seems quite insensitive, doesn't it? You think Jesus would have said, well, that's fine. Go ahead and bury your father and come back. No, that's not what Jesus said. Let the dead bury their own dead, May. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You see that, Molly? You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let Jesus handle your father, mother, you know, wife, children, brother, si sister. Yeah. Let the dead bury their own dead. It's awful hard, Stephen. That's what it says in the Bible, though, right? Sometimes Stephen and I will go over these teachings and I'll say, man, Stephen, this just seemed a little hard today. You know, Stephen is always very submissive. He'll say, I mean, it's just what it said in the Bible, John, right? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is telling us today. He's not saying we shouldn't love our family. Of course we do. But our priority needs to be Jesus, even above our human relationships. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Again, remember, Jesus is walking around the road. There's a guy there, right? And this man says, I will follow you, Lord. But you know what? Just let me go back and tell my family, you know, listen, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm giving my life to follow Jesus. Again, a reasonable request. You have to see in these verses the seriousness of what it means to follow Jesus, right? You see that, Pop? Look what Jesus says to this guy. Again, look at the reasonable request, Uncle Dennis. Look at this, Chris. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But, and that's where it all ends. There is no, I will follow you, Jesse. There is just, I will follow you, Lord. Bang. Now let me go back and take care of my beautiful daughter. Now let me go back and serve my mother and father, brother, brother and sister, friends, wife and children. Our devotion to Jesus Christ needs to be infinitely above even our closest human relationships, which are, of course, our wife, children, mother, father, brother, sister, right? Grandmother, grandfather. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Once again, it seems reasonable. It really does, right? Just let me go say goodbye to my family. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I'll read it again. Jesus replied, to this man who said, just let me say bye to my family. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No. No. He said, don't, don't go say goodbye to your family. Jesus said, trust me with all that. You go and serve the kingdom of God, and I'll tell you when it's time to say goodbye to your family. No one who puts his hand to the plow. If you want to get serious about serving Christ, certainly if I want to get serious and we're not where we need to be. If you think this is where you are and you've arrived, you need to repent. Okay. I certainly have arrived. Almost none of us have arrived. The apostles, James and John here hadn't arrived, right? Even Paul in Philippians three said, not that I've been made perfect already. Right. But one thing I do forgetting what is behind pressing toward what is ahead. Right. Um, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It's our job to give our lives to Jesus as disciples of Jesus, Peyton, just to serve Jesus, Chloe, right? 
And, and we don't look back at other things. You don't even look back at your mother, father, wife, children. Again, he's not saying we don't love them and care for them, but our devotion to Jesus needs to be more and more, and our devotion to the things of this world and even the relationships in this world needs to be less and less. And this is so important. J Jesus expects growing and complete devotion. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's not acceptable to be double-minded, to say, well, it's Jesus and my family, but sometimes I got to side with my family and other times I'll side with Jesus. No, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus. We're not talking about being saved here and going to heaven. This is about being a disciple of Christ. You don't look back and your family needs to follow you into serving Jesus. You don't follow them in the ways of the world. Well, Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness and grace on our lives. Father, we just thank you that we have our Bible. Father, we ask you to forgive us, Lord, where we look back. Lord, forgive us where we haven't been fit for the service you know, of God. Forgive us, Father, where we've been prejudiced or where we've been wrong or we've looked down on people, Lord. Just forgive us the evil in our own hearts, Lord. I ask you to forgive us where there is racism in our culture, Lord, which, you're th which there certainly is. But Father, I pray you would convict us that we would come to understand that only in Christ, only Jesus is the solution for all of these things. Lord, again, just forgive us where we make other priorities besides you. Father, I'm sorry. Forgive us where we're so territorial as a church. Forgive us where we continue, you know, where we'll say, you know, since they're not one of us, where we look down on other Christians, Father, and uh, Father, help us to encourage other believers, even when their doctrine is not perfect as we'd like it to be. And at the same time, Father, help us to hold steadfastly to your word. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you today. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. Holy Spirit, we ask for eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand as we go forward now. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.